welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Ellen Foley with I'm Just Happy to Be Here from her forthcoming Fighting Words album. I've got the huge pleasure to welcome Ellen to the podcast today to talk about all her music from um, Meatloaf to the present day. So welcome, Ellen. Thank you very much, Jason. One of the main reasons we're here today is to talk about your, your new single as well as your new album, as well as your, the rest of your career i'm just happy to be here which is um it's got a great sound to it and also it's even better that it's a duet with carla devito as well so yes what was the reason to sing with carla on that track in particular well she and i over the last few years have connected in a really good way you know where i hadn't really known her all those years it was just you know having the image of oh she's the woman who sent you know lip sync to my uh to my voice and she probably thought ah what a pain in the neck I've had to explain this for 30 years so but then we um we met uh, at a at a uh, a show of a tribute to Jim Steinman about five years ago and since then we had started talking then we both sang on the meatloaf song uh, braver than we are mm. uh, that trio and I said to Paul Faglino that I I would like to sing with her I love her voice. And, you know, she just has a very, very positive personality. I thought that it would be a good idea and, you know, also garner some attention if she and I sang together. So I, I just proposed it to Paul and he wrote that song. It's quite a positive message as well, which is probably a nice thing, given all the turmoil that's uh, been going on. Yes. People ask me if it was a reaction to the pandemic. But, you know, it was actually um, recorded and sung before the pandemic. But I say for us in this country, we were struggling uh, in a very dark period when we had I don't like to mention the name, but let's call him Voldemort (laughs) was was uh, it was his regime that was in there. So, you know, even before the pandemic, you know, it, it, it was a struggle for those of us who who had to live through it and and who didn't want to live through it. It does have that feel in terms of the there's been difficult times, but you kind of made, made it through. Correct. Yes. I like one lyric. I was right and I was ruined. It didn't matter anyway. I think that's a great lyric. Yeah. And as I mentioned at the start, the sound of the record is really, really good. It, it feels very organic and not overproduced. It's got a bit of that sort of classic... Springsteen type sound, which is for me on my ear much more refreshing than some of the stuff that's in the charts now, which is just a little bit too over computerized. Oh, yeah. You know, this it was so not computerized and it was so almost not produced because everybody did their tracks on their own. Even before the pandemic, it was we did it sort of separately and virtually. So everybody was able to listen. You know, they Paul, you know, got the rhythm, our drummer and the bass player to play. And then he sent it to the the guitar player and the keyboard player and our Ula Hedwig, our vocalist. So all that was on there. And then he brought it to me and I did the vocals. So, you know, I mean, as strange as it sounds, it it somehow came across as, you know, a real unit and sort of very, like you say, organic and relaxed. Because I think, you know, in that in that way, 
there wasn't a lot of nerves or tension or pressure. You know, the, nobody was paying for a studio and looking at their watch. I'm assuming that's the way that people do it these days. And so, you know, I would suggest it, you know, to other people, because for me to be able to just sing in my living room was uh, good. And the fact that he had Pro Tools uh, on his on his laptop and brought the uh, the mic into my living room, you know, was was an ideal way to do it. I loved it. Yeah, you get the best of both worlds in that you could use technology today, but you still get the benefit of a, a great sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I know he found a guy, obviously, who went and, you know, did the mixes. So that that was in the old old fashioned way, sitting, sitting in the studio and being able to mix it and to, you know, pick and choose and to and to get the levels and everything. And I went in and did fixes on vocals during the mix. A slightly older track of yours which is a, obviously a, a song that goes back uh, much further on the album, is, is Heaven Can Wait. You've done your own version of that classic track. That was done for a film I was, uh, I was on called Lies I Told My Little Sister. It was played uh, over the credits of the movie. And so we, you know, Jim gave us permission to do it. He didn't charge us or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it, that was also done virtually because the a guy in LA did the track, send it to me, and uh I sang it with an engineer uh that he worked with in New York. So you know it seems to be the way, yeah. you know. That was a song that dates back before Battle of Hell from uh Jim's musical Neverland. Yeah, Neverland and I, I sang it in there. So I sang it, you know, before Bad Out of Hell. I mean, Meat Meat had sung it, yeah. you know, when when Jim was writing the stuff. So it wasn't as if Meat had never sung it, but I, I might have been the first one to sing it publicly. So it sounds like your new album, Fighting Words, has got a range of uh, styles and has got something for everyone looking looking for an Ellen Foley album, really. Yeah, I think so. I like that about it. Yeah. Because, um, like you said, something for everyone. You know, it, it didn't. It doesn't all sound the same. There's Paul's brand of rock and roll. We have um, the Otis Redding song. We yeah. have a very a very countryfied song. There's a beautiful ballad called "Fill Your Cup." I think you know people respond to in an emotional way. Yes, you're right. There there is quite a range in the material. Give me all of your dreams and 
mentioned this briefly before in terms of Bad Out of Hell and, and you're known in particular for being the, the co-vocalist on Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Yes. I've read that you, you originally met Meatloaf and Jim Steinman when, while they were working together, was that the National Lampoon Road Tour? It was. It was the National Lampoon Show. Yes. On the road, driving around the whole cast and crew in a blue van. It was, it was pretty bare bones, playing schools and you know, we, we, it was a pretty good tour because we played big, nice big theaters, but we also played schools and um, no, but it was interesting. I think that that was I first got my actor's equity card during that show. So it was very early on in my career. Because that track in particular has got different phases in it and you've even got the Yankees announcer there. Yes. So it feels like there's a little bit of that sketch feel in, in that, which is hungover from earlier times. Um. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Jim was influenced by the National Lampoon Show because mm. he wasn't. But you're true. it's true about the, you know, the sketch, if, if you visualize it, that, you know, it's a sort of a little three-act play. And it's romantic and it's sexual and it's, you know, exciting. But then it ends up, you know, in a doomed marriage where they're praying for the end of time hmm. so I can end my time with you. So, yeah, it's it's a sketch. It's a long sketch, <laughs> but I, it, it's a sketch. Was it clear when you were, I mean, even, even before Bad Out of Hell, because obviously you were familiar with some, some of the material before that, the strength of Jim's songwriting? Oh, yeah, definitely. Steinman. 
I always say he was fully formed, that here he came with this creation, you know, that had been bubbling in his mind for a very long time. I mean, back in college, he started writing some of those songs. Yeah, being around him, you knew that there was some sort of genius afoot, especially, you know, being hearing the songs as they were written, getting to see what it became, you know, the progression of, of his songwriting. To be around that was pretty exciting.
Will you love me forever? Let me sleep on it. 
And then added to that strong songwriting, obviously you had Meatloaf on vocals as well as yourself on a number of, of the tracks there. You had so many great musicians. You had Todd Rundgren as a producer. I think he might have been on guitar in, in places as well. Yes, yes. Great setup of people all collaborating on one project. Oh, my God, yeah. Roy Bitten, uh, keyboards from Springsteen, Max Weinberg, uh, drums from Springsteen, because I think, you know, Jim got a, had a, a lot of inspiration from Springsteen. I did, in terms of the sound, the way Springsteen was probably influenced by Phil Spector, and then Jim was influenced by Phil Spector through Bruce Springsteen, but came up with his own. I mean, his themes were certainly different from Bruce's. The um, the way he approached his storytelling was was quite different. Yeah. But yeah, somehow, I don't remember how, who they knew or how he ended up with those guys on the record. I guess, you know, there were demos and things, whether mm. they just heard it and said, yeah, yeah, count me in. But usually these things, like his manager knew somebody within the Springsteen organization and I'm I'm not sure how it happened, but yeah, and it was a fantastic band. Chasm Sultan. I don't know if he still is Todd's uh, bass player, yeah. but he was he was Todd Rundgren's bass player. So yeah, fantastic group. And Rory Dodd, the great Rory Dodd, the vocalist who who worked with me and uh, with Jim for years and years. He was on the record, so it was yeah, it was quite a mix of people. Was it quite a a quick? recording process or did it take quite a while the way it was put together there were probably a couple weeks of rehearsals it was up in Woodstock where Todd Rundgren has his studio a couple weeks of rehearsals you know I didn't you know I did Paradise in one take wow (laughs) I just sang it and that was it so I didn't have to be there a real long time but I think yeah the vocals uh, meets vocals they took a lot of time with that but the thing that took time that took years actually um maybe a year but i think maybe years plural was the mixing right so it was given to so many different people to mix the record i don't know whose mix finally ended up on the record i don't even know but uh, yeah it was a very long torturous process once they were doing the the lead vocals then got into the mixing but not me pal (laughs) how long is that song 12 minutes long i guess i was there for 12 minutes There's a man in the shadows with a gun in his eye And a blade shining no so bright There's evil in the hand, there's thunder in the sky And a killer's on the bloodshot streets Oh, I'm down in the tunnel with a deadly arise And oh, I swear I saw a young boy down in the gutter He was stopping the foam in the heat Oh, baby, oh, they only fell in the soul There's gonna be some light But I gotta get out, I gotta break it out now Before the final cut goes down So we gotta make the most of our one night together When it's over, you know, we'll both be so
don't you know I wanna be down Dancing through the night with you Well if I gotta be down you know I wanna be down Gotta be down you know I wanna be down Gotta be down you know I wanna be down out of hell the album goes down as one of the biggest selling albums ever and connected with so many people so what was the time span and chronology going from bat out of hell to your solo album night out well like i said there was such a, a span of time before bat came out that the head of the record company who is steve popovich he took me on before the bat record came out so I had that year or so, at least, to find material. You know, I, it, I took a long time, you know, writing some stuff, finding material. Then he hooked me up with Ian Hunter and Mick Ronson. And so shortly after the Bat record came out, I'm trying to remember now, it's such a long time ago, we started working on my album. Right. And so, because my album came out in 79, 88, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We Belong to the Night was one of the big hits off that album. So that was, you co-wrote that song, didn't you? I did, with Fred Goodman. And it's got that Spectre-esque sound? Yes. Was that something that you were kind of aiming for? Oh, yeah. Well, I think the song itself, it was written for that. Certainly the melody and, and how I... I saw the the singing of it was very specterish, and Ian and Mick understood that, and you know, and jumped on it, and 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 we created our own little wall of sound there. So most definitely, and also I guess other songs on there, "What's the Matter, Baby," that's very girl groupy. Yeah, so that that was 
the basic sound of that album we were going for the big vocal the big sound the big reverb all that sort of thing so you think that that was that was a theme that tied many of the tracks together so when you were either selecting material or bringing in your own material, there was that in, in mind as, as well as Mick and Ian? Yeah, well, I think the material, you know, that I sat in my living room with my vinyl records, I think what really uh, attracted to me, me to songs was were the more dramatic songs, not mundane uh, love songs or anything like that. And obviously the drama in the song and of course the music and then I took it into them and and that's that's what the production became
I've spoken to uh, Philip Rambo before and one of his tracks on the album Night Out, but he describes how just going out and buying buying loads of records and then that was part of the, the the process of getting some songs together. Is is that something that you you recall? I guess that's how I did it. I mean, I I really didn't know Phil until we did the album, I, but uh, he gave me through Ronson because they were friends. Night Out, which is such a great song. And was was there another of the a Rambo song on there? Young Lust was Young. Young Lust, Lust yeah, two two tracks. Yeah, I and they're both great songs. Great songs. I love them both. I mean, he's a great guy. And I, I see him on, on Facebook and things once in a while, and he's out there still doing it. What was it like working with Mick and Ian? Because I've, I've heard a lot about Mick in terms of Mick as a person and being very humble and shy. Not so much about Ian. So what, what were the dynamics between you three? Well, it's true. I think Ian, you know, was... was uh, the dad and 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 I don't think he'd want to hear that. He was the dad. I was the kid. Uh, Ronson was the nice uh, shy uncle in the in the birth of of the record. You know, Ian is is very is very decisive. Very you know, let's do this, that, and the other thing. And uh, it's true, Ronson. Ronson, it was so humble, and you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know what he was thinking or if he was thinking about the this, the record until he got up there and played the guitar. I mean, and then an incredible stuff. And I, I shouldn't say that because I remember him having really a lot of input in the arrangements, mm. a lot of input in the arrangements, but it was just his personality was so unprepossessing, you know, that he was such a joy to be around. He was just so sweet and funny. And for somebody like myself, who was in this, you know, making their very first record, being around both of them, they didn't take it all so seriously. It, it was it was a laugh. It was good. But as you can see, um, having that kind of uh, atmosphere worked on this record. Nobody was was freaking out. Everybody was pretty happy.
You were also on one of Ian's albums and on the track we've got to get out of here. There's lots of great clips on YouTube yeah. of you, Ian, and, and the band on that. That must have been great fun. Oh, that was fun. I mean, I, I think I that was me just riffing that whole mm. thing that I said. You know, he just he just told me to go say something and I did, you know. And and I think that that kind of thing came off of, you know, the talking in in uh, in paradise and and like in on what's a matter baby i kind of like one of my little things that i do is like talking on a record you know and spoke the spoken word and so yeah that was just kind of an improvisation and it came out pretty funny i guess and so so it turned out to be that and that was really fun did you go out and tour with Ian and the band at all no i mean i i did some shows with them i remember you know, going out to Cleveland, you know, here or there, but I, I was not in the band per se, because, you know, I, I, that was at that point, I had my record out already. And, uh, you know, I was over there and in your neck of the woods hmm. and touring around a, a lot. And plus other, other things I was doing in my career, I always had sort of a, a few things going on at once, like not theater then, but film stuff and TV thrown in there too. So I, I never had time. It's like with Meatloaf. I didn't want I didn't really want to go on the road and be a backup singer, but I also was having, you know, my own career. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I had a lot going on.
And you were famously on a number of Clash records and there's some great tracks that you feature on, like uh, Hitsville UK or Sandinista. Yeah. How did you connect with the guys from The Clash? Um, I guess I, I, the first time I toured over in, I was doing a show in London. I was over there. I met Mick, you know, and we we uh, we got together. And then after a point, you know, he wanted he wanted to do an album with me and and recruited the guys. I mean, incredibly recruited Strummer to uh, to co-write songs with him for me. Strummer was such a I mean, he was another genius. You know, he was just yeah. all these guys we've lost. Right. It's so tragic, isn't it? Before the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Joe, it was really tragic. Because it just happened. I mean, he was with Jim. He was sick for a long time. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, Joe was just it was just a, a sudden thing, which is terrible to hear. Yeah, it seems like this. You're on Sandinista and you're also making your next solo album with the guys in the Clash. And the, those sessions seem to sort of blend into one. Was it was it quite like that? Were you, was it one after the other or were you recording both albums at, around the same time? Yeah, I think that to keep my budget somewhere in a decent place, uh, you know, when though the when they were in the in the studio, you know, maybe then I slipped in and we did my record at times, and then of course there were times when it was just me, me, you know, uh, my sessions were booked. But yeah, it was it was all happening around the same time. It was those guys, you know, it was a very fertile time for them um, in terms of of writing and in producing music.
when I listen to tracks off your album Spirit of St. Louis, like Torchlight, you've moved your sound on again. And obviously you, you would do collaborating with The Clash. That must have been quite a bold move musically because it feels quite adventurous. I, I love that's the, that's my favorite song on that record. And to me, it kind of relates to Hitsville UK because it's got this all the, the incredible rhythms and it's very up and positive and that marimba sound is so great. I think that is a great tune. Whether it's adventurous or bold, you know, I think the whole concept of me, you know, this girl from St. Louis working with The Clash, you know, in London all of a sudden, I'd only been in New York for about seven years, you know, and and all of a sudden here I am in this whole new world. Um, The whole thing was a pretty bold move. And for them to be working with somebody else besides their band, it, it was kind of a leap of faith for everybody, I guess. Break my spirit Or take away the hope you 
for your next album, Another Breath. Did you come back to the States for that? Yeah, that came back to the States. And that was, I think, a more poppy American sound. Uh, did it with this producer, Vinnie Poncia, who had come from back again from the more traditional, you know, rock and roll uh Girl group, poppy sounds. Yeah, that was done in New York. You can hear some of the that sort of slightly poppier edge on songs like Run For My Life. Your sound shifted again and some of the material on that feels a bit more accessible in a way. Yeah, I mean, that was the idea because um, nobody thought that uh, Spirit of St. Louis was too accessible and the, the concept was to get into a more accessible place with another breath. Well, that was the whole point of that, I suppose.
obviously we, we talked a little bit about Jim and the Pandora's Box album, which he oversaw. I think you, you were on that, especially the, the song My Little Red Book. Do you remember that period? Oh, yeah. Did Jim, I assume he must have sought you out to collaborate with him again? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was all natural, you know, that I would go in and sing that. But I think I have to go back and listen to it. Somebody recently uh, reminded me that I did the want ad on that record, the spoken, the spoken bit. And I remember always loving that. And so that I was very happy that I was able to do that. And that was something that people were not, you know, were not used to hearing. So that piece is one of my top moments yeah it's, a, it's an album now that's a bit lost really and I, I guess it was because it didn't have the Jim Steinman label as a, a sort of band name or project and it just didn't quite yeah so it, it despite the quality of the songs which are, are incredible it, it didn't get the right. the audience that it deserved really yeah I mean I don't even know who released it you know what what label it was on but obviously it didn't get the the push to sell records or to get on the radio. So did you stay in, in contact with Jim for, throughout the years then? The history? Yeah. Um, yeah, not, you know, to a degree in terms of, you know, always writing, always, you know, emailing once it got to be then. But, you know, uh, not that much, not not a whole lot. But I always say he was always there for me because, you know, because of him, I, I basically had my career in music yeah i might have had it eventually but when you sing on something like that it kind of puts you on the fast track so like i said i just feel he was he's always been there with me
mentioned this earlier the meatloaf album braver than we are which even even the song going all the way where it connects jim in terms of the writer meatloaf of course yourself and as well as carla yeah all on one song i mean that must have been amazing to basically all feature on one track really yeah it it was crazy we were all down in nashville well i mean jim and i'm not jim because he was unwell back then and uh Meet and Carla and myself doing this. It was a little surreal, you know, after the the long years and years and years history of everybody and the relationships and uh, you know what all it. Here we are. It was surreal, and and being around Meet for after so long, you know, he can be very funny and sweet. So so it was a blast, and and that was sort of the beginning uh, of my relationship with Carla when we when we really started talking and, and connecting. So that was, a, that was a very positive, fun time. That must be so amazing in a way. All those years later, uh, with so much time has passed and you're all back in the studio together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but there's another record that um, I don't think a lot of people got to hear, which was too bad. Just so hard now, you know, to, mm. to get people to hear your music. So, you know. What happened with that exactly? Right. 
and whisper terrifying secrets in your ear. Sometimes it's the day, and the sun has got no mercy, lighting up and burning everything that's in its way. There are times I gotta run, times I gotta hide, things I've left undone, things I've cast aside, so many things to try, so many things denied. If I ever tell you the truth, I'd swear you would leave me, I need the proof that you would believe me.
say Ellen that's a great single that you've got I'm just happy to be here and um, a great taster of your forthcoming album Fighting Words and it's fantastic about how your story and and many of the people who feature um, kind of weave in and out it's fantastic oh thank you thank you so much Jason I appreciate it and I appreciate you having me on the show and spreading the word you know we have a, a second single out which is that first track are you good enough? In in July, that'll that'll be that'll be out, and I think the seventh of July as the second single, and then the album a month later. So oh great, we need to flog we need to flog this thing. Great. Well, is there anything you want to say about Are You Good Enough before we go? Then I love it because it's heavy. When I would sing it, you know, live, I you know when and it starts with a big drum and a big guitar. I'm like, I'm singing with the boys, mother, you know. <laughs> And, uh, you know, made you feel like a very, a very super rock chick again. I love that. Brilliant. Fun. Yes. Fantastic. What an honor it is to talk to you. And, uh, the, you know, the music you've made has, has helped to soundtrack people's lives. So um, thank you so much, Ellen. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you very much, Jason. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. You learned 
you burned I don't care how many steps you covered in recovery That don't matter to me for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.